you know Paul Beelan, who was the former Ox Mead manager? I encountered him when he was the Grey Cullen manager in Leash. I was only 16, and I went up and I asked him for a team before the game. And he told me to fuck off and come back when I had some hair on my chest. <laughs> so, and you still I haven't have, gone back to me, I have you? Exactly I have. Same, <laughs> I have exactly the same story. They had a sport in RT when I went in in 1994. So in 1993, I met him for the first time. And he said to me, look, I think you've got great enthusiasm and you've got lots, you've clearly got ability and you're completely committed. And I said, but I want you to do me a favour. And I said, sure, whatever you want me to do. And he said, I want you to fuck off and come back when you can grow. <laughs> 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 oh, didn't know that was At least I'm not the only one. It might be a right of passage, who knows? I didn't know that was a requirement for RT that you needed to be. No, you just need to be able to grow. Yeah, oh, able to grow. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Um, it's like when you're clearing. This is my, my you have? this is my payment for. Oh, Tony got to that. Yeah, my payment for collecting them from the airport last night. Okay. So you guys are all commuting. You're going home every weekend. You're going home every. Yeah, weekend. yeah. Where are you I'm from? I'm from Cavan. Are you? Yeah. Jesus. Can you tell? Can <laughs> <laughs> not tell? <laughs> yeah, Gavin from Cavan. We get a lot of mileage. <laughs> uh, yeah, we all go home for for work. And you're all working. Yeah. Yeah. Have to. Is it, it is it is it, like is this a good place to be? Like, do you like being here? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, uh, this isn't his first time in college. Yeah. I I went to Galway for I did two years of the three of a three year degree in NUIG yeah. and uh, I did English and IT. I was doing arts. Right. So, um, but just completely different in terms of college life. Just the whole, I suppose, perception of college life here compared to Galway. Galway is very much um, it's my favorite place in the world, but. It's not the most studious. Um, it's really not. Is it not? No, like it. it there's, there's a real atmosphere down there. There is, but like there's a proper university atmosphere. And most but there's not the emphasis on, like, say, the likes of society life. It's not a thing in Galway. Whereas here, no. Whereas here, like, we could be in four or five, six different. You know, would have our hands in a couple of different pots. You know. Yeah. But um, I have to say, from talking to my friends who go to the likes of WIT, uh, UCC, UL, and all that, <coughs> society life isn't something that is promote, as promoted as, let's say, here. Right. Like here, they have the massive clubs in Soxford at the start where all the colleges set up stalls and you get to see what different societies are on offer, join whichever ones you have. Is that unique to here or would that be I, I don't think UCD, it's unique to here. UCD probably has a strong enough to Probably I'd does, say so. yeah. I, maybe, maybe it's a Dublin thing then, but um, like. Yeah, no, I have to say from the colleges that I've heard about, yeah. there's certainly, society life is far more, much more promoted here than it is uh, in other like, There's a big mix of people here as well from all over. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. like it, it, it is Dublin, very diverse. Has a, I have a sense it's a bit South County Dublin, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong. No, no you're uh, bang on the money. In the heart of it, yeah, yeah. just beside. No, but, in, but that tends to be, the, there's not an awful lot of people coming from Leisure, Offaly or... The ag, the ag, with the exception of the ag course in yeah. UCD, right, okay. that uh, that brings the country boys. <laughs> 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 um, really does. Open the Massey Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> See the John Deere's driving. John Deere's driving into the You don't the know gates. whether it's Sean O'Brien or <laughs> the Leinster boys are training. Uh, Sean O'Brien would pull his tractor into he the UCD. He would. Well, drive. not in his current state. Unfortunately, so. <laughs> Unfortunately, so. That um, uh, just reminds me, Gavin. Yes. You, you too. Oh, I'm silent. <coughs> yeah. Very good. See, we are professional in yeah, certain aspects. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we do try. We yeah. Do try. Um, okay, we'll get started. Um, and you can... You can uh, For me? Bring us in. For me? Yeah. Go on. See, I always, make, I always say live because I'm used to saying live. We're not live. We're no. not live anymore. No. Yeah. So we used to do this as a radio show right. initially. 
And then and now it's podcast. Now it's podcast. podcast yeah. Just the nature of yeah, you know we're working sense. around people's schedules. So um, we upload on Friday and whatever, but we're not live anymore. And I have to keep telling myself that. Yeah. Good morning and welcome to In Conversation with. We are coming to you from the U in DCU once again. My name is Greg. I'm joined here by my co-host Colin McDonald. Hey, Greg. Gavin Kelly. How you doing? What are you looking at? <laughs> we are here today in the presence of a very, very familiar voice um, of Irish rugby. None other than Royal Nugent. Royal, thank you very much for coming in today. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you. Were you travelling far today? No, not far at all. I live over in Black Rock. Uh, on the south side. On the south side. Across the city, though. Across the city. No, it's not too bad. We had our, this uh, time of our guest, we had a guest yesterday who took their longest trip from... There to us. Uh, Jared Canning came from Cork to meet us yesterday. Yeah, he's a good man, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, very he good. good. He, is. He, had um, a, he had a couple of tales for us already. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as tradition goes, I'll ask, I'll ask you, Royal, what was your initial thought uh, when I approached you to be on, be on the show? Oh, uh, uh, you, you, get, you get asked when you're doing this, I'm sure Jared probably gave a similar answer when you when you do what we do, people have, I guess, some sort of innate interest in, in why you do it and, and how you go about doing it. And, and people, people make contact and ask you, can they talk to you about it? And, and I said to, to one of you, I can't remember on the web when we were walking up here, like we've all been in this position where we were starting out in our careers or we were in college and we were trying to figure out exactly what to do and how to do it. And, and, and we asked people at, at the time to help us along. So, uh, like, I, I, without wanting to sound like I'm, um, I'm some sort of uh, a saint, like, when somebody asks you to do them a favour, you patron saint of Irish, yeah, 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 for us. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's not exactly a massive ask. Yeah, but it, I can talk about sport. It, it, it is the consensus answer that uh, people have been where we are now, starting now, trying to break it into the industry, and they are willing to help out as much as yeah, as, as and, they and, can. And, and and I would always hope it'll be that, and I hope you guys, no doubt, you guys will do it when when your turn comes. Sure. But I guess well, big, I don't know about Craig. Yeah, Craig has yeah. a few <laughs> notions about. Like you see, he's wearing a scarf today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> face is still swollen. I had a root canal yesterday, right? Did you? I did, yeah. And uh, I, I had my root canal at 10 o'clock yesterday morning. Um, I got out of there at about half 11. And I hopped in the car and I came straight to Dublin to interview Jerry Canning. Fantastic. See, commitment mm-hmm. to Hang the cause. there's a problem here. I have a problem with the student with the car. And, uh, no, I, <laughs> I, I, Typically I, his own. I, I did. Uh, it worked out quite well yesterday. My dad and my brother were in London visiting my uncle. Ah, I stole so the car. I stole the car <laughs> and I justified it. I said... See, this way you won't have to get the bus home. <laughs> so I can give you the car out at the airport and you can toddle on home. And it worked out well for Thoughtful everyone. Son. Um, on, on your initial reaction to coming on the show and, and such, um, what did you take from the wording of the email? Did you, did you like that? Did you get a little... Uh, yeah, I like, yeah, 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 it was, an, it was a novel approach. Okay, yeah, yeah, novel approach. But, you know what, I'll tell you what... I'll tell you what it, I, I've had this conversation with a couple of other guys um, who are around my age, which is mid mid forties. I'm going to hold on mid forties, <laughs> quite late forties. Yeah. Um, is that that we were lucky when we were starting out, when we were doing what you guys are doing? There was a there was a massive uh, change in the broadcast landscape in Ireland. So up until the early nineties, there had really were very few options. There was RTE, and then there was pretty much the pirate radio scene, which was everybody in in power seemed to be turning a blind eye to. Anyway, without going into too many details about it and boring you to death, what happened was it all got legislated. So I went to Ballyfermot Senior College to do broadcasting and journalism, 
um, and it was the first time the course had been run and they had seen a hole in the market which was licensed radio legal radio around the country was gonna was gonna come to the uh, was gonna come to the market and there weren't the people to 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 fill the jobs with any sort of experience so I went into Ballyfermot Firm Senior College and it was a two-year broadcasting uh, journalism course and and by the time I got to the end of the first year I think there were 40 of us on that course every one of us had a job before we'd even left so in that class was uh, Damien O'Reilly who's who's done countrywide for years and well known in RT Justin Tracy who's sports news in 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 RT um, uh, myself and, and 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 many others who have gone on to do other things both in Ireland and and, and around the country or around the world and um, so we were blessed like we were we didn't realize it at the time but we walked into a into a into an industry that was just really beginning and taking off so I left Ballyfermot and I walked straight into 98FM it was in its first year and and they were looking for people and, and what the course gave us was was an ability to have they had they had radio studio and they had a TV studio so you had for, you didn't walk into a radio studio and go it wasn't theoretical it was practical so you understood how to work the systems before you even went in so it was an easy transition mm. and I now look at you guys and guys doing that in different uh, colleges and, and, and technical courses around the country and it's so much harder like you were sorry to say this but you're competing against each other yeah. you're competing against people so. the rest of the guys and girls in your in your class and and people coming from other uh, places around the country so it's it's much much harder so when somebody comes and says can you give us a dig out I go absolutely <laughs> I don't really it, it's much tougher for you guys than it was for me our, fa- our favourite one is probably uh, Ian Dempsey yeah. when we asked him this question you know what was the initial reaction he said well you know one day you lads could be my boss <laughs> <laughs> he's right, right so right. <laughs> um, I, touching on that I think there is maybe not the exact same amount there is a similar amount of opportunities it's just how much they'll pay you so there's yeah, well, a lot well, of it's like they didn't pay well when I started either mm-hmm. like let's, let's call it yeah, yeah okay. like we, it was not my, my recollection my recollection of that is one of the first jobs I had there was a there was a competition in rugby called the Belvedere Floodlit Cup which was a Leinster competition and it was kind of a new competition in that they played it under lights on a Tuesday night um, and a Thursday night in Belvedere in Anglesey Road and it was for all the senior clubs in Leinster and 98FM used to take live coverage or update coverage of those matches on Tuesday night and I got the job of doing the live report so you do a live report into I can't go from memory now the 7 o'clock news the 8 o'clock news the 9 o'clock news and the 10 o'clock news with the final report in the 10 o'clock news and my memory of that is I was getting paid I think it was 8 euro a match so let's not like it was 8 pounds at the time yeah 8 pounds it was god I'm old (laughs) (laughs) but you know like so like we were all walking into we didn't all walk in and go where is the yeah. underground job? Yeah. It was probably a degree of security, though, to the fact that there, you know, if you were, if you know, ninety-eight FM didn't work out with the industry boom, you could have moved, you know, somewhere else. Well, look, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There was yeah. there was an absolute security. Yeah. I, it never crossed my mind that I was going to find it hard to get a job in the industry. It crossed my mind that I might be good enough. <laughs> crossed my mind that 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 I might progress to the level I wanted to progress. All those things, all those insecurities and worries were there. But was there a was there the the process by which I could get and and start a career? 
that never crossed my mind. And I think that's really hard for people now because I think it is much, much more competitive. And just in the sheer volume, you guys have got, have got guys and girls a year ahead of you or two years ahead of you who will be out in the market ahead of you and there's a volume of people coming through, whether it's communications degrees or broadcast degrees or journalism degrees or whatever, it might even arts degrees or English degrees that, 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 that end up turning that way. It's harder. I don't try to put you off. It's fabulous. And I think you're dead right doing what you're doing. Yeah. Like it's, well, one it's thing a, students do now, like this podcasting gig on the radio we were doing, it actually isn't built into our course. Yeah. It's all extracurricular. Yeah, no, through society. So people who are, we know people working in RT Pulse now, and they're really doing it by themselves now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, I think, and yeah. I think that's it. You've got to show an issue. Mm. Yeah. Like you've got to show that you're, you're fully committed. But I, I think that goes with any career now. Mm. I think there's yeah. no way... You're just going to waltz into any you degree can't course that, and waltz out the far side and kind of go, I've arrived in the street, <laughs> give me a job. You know, like you've got to show any potential employer that you're committed, you're diligent, you're hardworking. Um, and, that, and, and, then, and then on top of that, then you've got to have the talent. And that, again, whether that's journalism or whether that's communications or whether that's health, whether it's law, you, you still have to have the talent yeah. um, and the ability and, and in, in order to drive your career. But, but yeah, I get what you're doing and I understand what you're doing and good on you for doing it. I, I have to, and like, yeah, like within our own course there is a hundred odd or so and like without, you know, blowing our own trumpet around like that, we, <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are the only ones doing this specifically and that was something that surprised me when we started out and I'm not going to say it was easy making contact with people in the industry. Initially it wasn't. Initially it wasn't, but really once, we got, once I got the hang of it and got a knack for it. Once, once we got a couple of names, it was easier to attract okay. other names. You know, like yeah, when, we, yes. when we could turn to you and say, right, well, we've done Ian Dempsey, we've done Joe Duff, you know. Yeah, na- no, you, know. you know what, and you, see, you name Ian and you name Joe, and, and, and they're two really good examples. I, like, I think the vast majority of people in all walks of life are decent mm. like they are I just don't think they, they I, get sometimes their reputations and not particularly not, not clearly not those two but but people's reputations get muddied in social media and everybody goes yeah. oh he or she is a yeah but you know what the chances are they're maybe on an issue they might have been but in general yeah. I find that you look Oh, like see the good in most people. We, will we, you? we have you're too young. <laughs> we, 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 haven't, we haven't. Uh, we haven't had a negative response to us. Anyone we've we've you know approached or anything, they've all nobody has out you know outright said no. The the worst we've had is maybe talk to us after New Year, talk sure. to us a couple of months down the road. Yeah, yeah. The road, you know. And everybody wishes us luck and stuff like that. What I was going to say was, um, I was just surprised that. Not to my knowledge, has anybody, um, particularly of our age, done something like this where we've reached out to personalities in Irish media, asked for interviews, and then just gone and done it. And it's going really well for us now. We're, we're getting the interviews. And it, it became as a surprise to me that I, I didn't... The, the ease to which we were able to, to actually find the interviews. Um, but then, like... Having yeah, but I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. So you get the interviews, but are people listening? That is that is the other. That's out right. yeah, this that's is really the next. This is no, that's no, a fair question. Because getting fair. people in a room is one thing. What you do with them when you get them yeah. in the room, and whether that engages with an audience. Yeah, this is the next step, and we are taking steps towards us uh, to expand we've, our audience. We've recently got on all major pod, podcasting platforms. So yeah. I think we're on what ten different platforms. Nine. Yeah, including including Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So that that is helping. It was it was the case that we were strictly SoundCloud yeah. and then Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. Podcasts. And 
Yeah, so now we're on what ten? I think yeah, I think it was ten. And you've driven that all by yourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. So we've we've put, put a bit of our own money into it, um, <coughs> promoting posts on social media and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so if you know any sponsors, <laughs> <laughs> um, right? Sure, we'll get into the, what's what we're here for, which sure, is the man himself. It. So the first question I want to ask is, uh, right? You're originally from Ballyfermot. No, I'm not from Bally. You're not originally from Bally. So Bally you did your research by reading the Wikipedia. Page. Yeah, but, well, see, we, we right. like to so, fact so check so Wikipedia we as well. So, so we fact check Wikipedia. What I can tell you is that I, the last time I checked my Wikipedia page, yeah. which was probably just after I left RTE, there were more falsehoods in that Wikipedia, <laughs> yeah. which made me laugh out loud. We like to fact check our Wikipedia sources just to see how yeah, accurate so, and inaccurate they are. So I went are. to college in Bally, or I went yeah. to uh, yeah. uh, my third level in college Which you did go to Black Rock, so. I went to Black Rock. As I said to Colin this morning, I was like, mm, if he was from Bally for I don't think he would have went to Black Rock. I also Rock. didn't climb Mount Everest. Oh, right. the first Irish man, no. we did spot that. Yeah. Where do you think and that my partner is not male. <laughs> Jack, Jack Healy, yeah. yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's not true either. Um, <laughs> Where does this come Somebody from? Somebody had a bit of fun. Somebody who likes, who's having a good who likes to take the piss. Expense, yeah. and, and I have absolutely zero issues <laughs> until actually worrying people like you might think it's true. <laughs> who, who was it? We're interviewing Rick O'Shea on Thursday. And uh, Rick, in the email, just literally said, do not look at Wikipedia. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, See the, I don't think it's a great... I, I know Wikipedia, Wikipedia is awful, but uh, unfortunately, now, I think this is something that we've found, is that doing research on particularly Irish media personalities, there isn't an extensive amount of information that we can gather to go into the interview. Now, the, sure. po- the point of the interview is to learn about the guest, of course, but there isn't a few things, like Greg, God bless him, now is a very good investigative journalist. He gets his little tidbits <laughs> that actually throws the guest off by how he's found it, but there isn't a whole host of information that we can gather coming into the interview itself. Sure. Be- I just, I just don't think a lot of it. We like to draw it out of you. Yeah, it's, 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 a lot of it is usually interviews done with the existing person. interviews sure. from with years back or maybe recently, yeah. but a few and far between. We recycle slightly. So, right, was it on the cards? Was what did you want to be as a child? Uh, what did I want to be as a child? I wanted well, everyone wanted to, to be the fireman. No, the I don't. I don't have a recollection. That was part of the reason I ended up in doing what I'm, what I'm doing now. I didn't have that thing where I was a kid that I wanted to drive a fire engine or I wanted to be a doctor or a nurse or I wanted to be a, a, a I don't know a, a, an engineer I didn't there was nothing that I really wanted to be and that was part of the problem so I kind of I kind of meandered my way through my secondary school education and uh, uh, Blackrock College was a was a terrific place to go I, I was concentrated on sport as a kid so I swam uh, competitively through my teens which meant my days were very reg- regimented, so I got up at an early start. Out, I'd say as well, yeah. At five or five thirty every yeah. morning, my dad, God bless him, got me out of the bed, and we drove out to uh, Glen Alban swimming pool in in Stilorgan. and I would have trained there from I can't remember exactly it was six to quarter to eight, and then I got out of the pool and had my breakfast in the kitchen there, and walked down from Stilorgan to Black Rock and went to school until four o'clock in the afternoon, then played rugby or soccer in my last year or two uh, after, after uh, school and then walked back up to Stilorgan and went training again and got home at 7.30 or 8 o'clock and did an hour, if I even did an hour, and went to bed and got up at 5 o'clock and did that and repeat for about five years. So you swam competitively, was yeah. a professional career ever in your mindset? No, unfortunately. Uh, you did You did represent Ireland. Yeah, I swam very, very good. I will from you, lucky dude. See, he's, he's good. <laughs> um, I swam for Irish schools, yeah, 
Um, and I had ambitions of going to major championships, but the truth of the matter was, no matter how well I'd gone, I was blessed, or not, I was cursed with one thing you can't have as a swimmer, which is I have small hands. <laughs> you know what they say about a man with small hands. Oh. <laughs> He's not going to go to an Olympics. <laughs> that's how the saying goes. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's not the one that my dad told me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, so I, I, I did that the whole way through and I, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So my mum was a massive influence in my life because she was the, um, she was the first female um, managing director of a media outlet in the, in, in the country. She, well, she was the managing director of Sunday Tribune first. And then she was, uh, she owned the Sunday Business Post with Aileen O'Toole and um, Damien Kybert. And, and so she was involved in the media and I had a kind of now looking back, insane engagement with the media that I took for granted, which was going into offices and, Seeing Vincent Brown and Paul and Dunphy and all these guys who were at the top of their game and and David Walsh and sorry Kim came later but David Walsh and like these guys were 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 the best in the business and I was around them and I guess it kind of somehow subconsciously came a part of my being and, and I was deeply interested in sport having played rugby and soccer and swum and. And, I, and it all came together. And then I came to Leaving Cert, and frankly, I did awfully in my Leaving Cert the first time around. And then, frankly, I repeated my Leaving and did awfully a second time. You repeated around. in Blackrock? No, I repeated in the Institute okay. of Leaving Street. Yeah. And, and my parents were kind of looking at me going, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? And, and then the media course came available, and, and I got drawn to it. And, and then I went from nowhere to knowing exactly what I wanted to do in... I mean, I remember walking into Valley Firm, I would say... I, I would say 48 hours after I walked into the place and, and saw the radio studio and saw the TV studio and was around it, I went, this is what I want to do. This is so I went from nowhere to knowing definitively. And I'm not sure everybody at 18 or 19, they may think they know what they want to do, they may have interest in it, I'm not sure they're actually hooked in from the day that they start, but from the day I started I went, this is me. Media is where I want to be. I think I went from like definitive to definitive <coughs> to definitive. I yeah, always switched. Did so, you? So yes. Yeah, so, yeah. like, well, like if we're going to go the whole hog, like I started off, I wanted to do physiotherapy because I said, um, it's, it's sport, like much like yourself, sport all the way up. Yeah. Um, but again, I wasn't good enough to be an athlete. So Small I thought, hands. Not even just not that athletic, not that athletically gifted. I'm not, not I'm not bad at hurling soccer now, but I, um, I've seen him around. He's not the best for, for a man wearing a Waterford jersey. Um, <laughs> Leave my glass knee alone. Um, so physiotherapy was the first protocol, and then quickly changed to journalism. But the reason I wanted to do journalism was because a lot of sports commentators and analysts did start as and are journalists. Yep. Um, and sports commentary was something I wanted to go into, like what, what you've been doing. And I thought that was the dream job, going to uh, matches, just commentating on, getting to give your thoughts on matches and get paid for it. Sure. Couldn't be better. The dream. Um, but then I quickly realised the workload that's in journalism. And <laughs> uh, that I went into fifth year then and I started doing economics and had quite an act for it. It was my best sub subject in secondary school. So I decided uh, economics might be the, the career path. So originally I had economics in German and Trinity down as my first choice, but I didn't get that, thankfully so now. Uh, and then second choice was economics, politics and law here in DCU, which I got. 
And um, yeah, we our misfortune. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> wait for the next part. <laughs> so the first day was grand, uh, all economics and politics lectures, and I was like, this is really interesting. Can get on board with this. Second day was all law lectures, and I came crashing back down to reality with the amount of workload, the workload that they were describing, and what I'd have to be doing study wise and stuff like that. Um, like I'm, I'm not unstudious, but again, I do like my free time, and it didn't seem like I was going to get a lot from this course. So uh, you're really selling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I went out that night and met up with a friend from home that's also in DCU doing communications, and she was describing communications, and it was all media and stuff like, obviously media and stuff like that. And she was like, "Oh yeah, it's great. Like twelve hours a week. The lectures are very interesting." And I was like, "Oh, that sounds cool." Had a bit of a bad night. Uh, well, good night, but a bad morning. After, uh, I suppose. Way more I really <laughs> wish, like, yeah. we know that your mom and dad, like, listen. And Shane, I'm really sorry if you listen to this. Yeah. Uh, I woke up uh, and missed all my lectures and went in and I decided, you know what? I'm going to switch to communications. So that was the Wednesday and I was in communications by Thursday. And then now, from definitively wanted to do uh, physiotherapy to journalism to economics in some capacity. I'm back into the media field and like yeah, but the media field can have economics involved. It can, well, yeah, but <laughs> not for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, like uh, now I have my. Someone's s- never going to be group head of RT Sports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I have kind of my sights set on a, a career in radio or s- some sort of. Uh, yeah, facet it's, of that. it's funny. So, like I, I came in with uh, obviously I'd done a bit of freelance sports reporting and, and and news as well for a couple of years, and I kind of firmly had myself set as I'm going to be a digital journalist but uh, I came to CCU and we started doing a bit of radio loved it yeah. never thought radio I would have no I never thought I'd be interested in radio yeah. I always thought journalism or some of the media maybe video TV and then shall we start doing this and yeah. here we are radio, we go. radio and especially uh, podcasting is just is such a handy medium really yeah. it's a lot more laid back than what TV it gives is. people a forum that some people that maybe shouldn't have a forum <laughs> but <laughs> it does give us a forum Royal. <laughs> <laughs> Back to your time at 98FM. So sure. you, were on, you were on the news desk is where you started. I was on the news desk, yeah. I started, uh, I started, uh, Aidan Cooney was the head of sport at the time, our man Aidan Cooney, um, as, as was the catchphrase at the time, and Aidan took me on and I owe him a huge debt of gratitude. Um, and we, and as I was working for 98FM, so I was a sports reporter and on the desk, so I'd be, depending, shift, yeah. one day you'd be out in the field, and, but more often than not you were in the studio. <clears throat> and I was, and at the same time, Dara Maloney was the was the same doing the same job for FM 104 that I was doing for 98 FM. So Dara and I started together, and we used to invariably, if it was an Irish rugby match or an Irish soccer match, we ended up Crossing working paths, the same yeah. same beat, and we became friendly because when we again remember it was a, it was a different time. How was that looked upon? It was wasn't it? So when we walked in, when we walked into the first sort of rugby press conferences or going to games, like it was, we were, man, were we young by comparison? So we would have been in our what age were we at that point? Twenty three, twenty four, and and Dara's a year two younger than me, and uh, and and we were walking into what was then just the news journalists, and the news journalists were. Irish Times, Irish Independent, Irish Press, the maybe the Examiner, and that was it. There was no forty-two Joe mm. uh, balls. 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 Like the, they didn't exist, so there was there was no RT.ie. There was no there was no nothing like that. So it was like there were a group of four guys who used to go and they, and and could, had complete control over it. And then of course it was the RT, either Jim Sherman or Fred Cogley, mm. and then myself and, and and Maloney, and we were 
God, did we cling on to each other <laughs> because it was tough, you know, like it was tough breaking in. And, and in fairness to the guys that were there, the journalists that were there at the time, they were, including Ned Van Esbeck, who's, who's still going strong. I only saw him last week in the press box, but like he was the Irish Times rugby correspondent. And they were very, you know, they were very decent to us and they didn't have to be. Wasn't necessarily a closed circle as such, so. Well, it was a pretty closed circle, but they, they, didn't, they didn't close it tight and okay. they didn't behave in a way that, was, that, that, that could have intimidated us, but it was intimidating, there's no doubt about it. But yeah, so we did 98 FM and... And it's, so that was what, 90, I'm going to go say 92 to 93, and then 94 came along and RTE advertised for a new Young People's Sports Programme and they were looking for presenters. And I went and auditioned for that, and I hope those audition tapes never show up. <laughs> this is the great, the great, great yeah. yeah. I cannot tell you how bad the audition was. Um, but but I, I, I kind of had a sense that I was going to be okay because there was only... And again, my numbers might be slightly out here, but the audition, there were maybe only three or four guys were asked to audition for it. And there were at least 20 uh, girls that were asked to audition for it. So my, and, and I knew they were going to take on a boy and a girl. So I, my, my odds were, were decent <laughs> from the outside. felt like you were down in pots there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so look, it worked. Um, and, and I got into that. Um, with Sarah Flaherty, who was the who was the girl that was chosen at the time, and we did that, and I, and I was only in RT. That was coming out of the young people's department. I was only in RT maybe three months, and the sports department picked me up to do a live the live Sunday night's results show, sports results show, which was called Sunday Sport on, on TV after the news at nine o'clock, and I found myself in in a six month period with this television career that I kind of went. Didn't see that coming. 98 FM were very good. They let me go with the, with their blessing, and they and again, Aidan Cooney was incredibly good to me when I was leaving, and, and 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 I was just blessed. Like I was so lucky. I mean, I and again, gotta understand. Like I I had literally no training for live TV. Like literally none. My very first time sitting in a studio was was the first bulletin or the first program that we did, which was with Jim Sherman was presenting, and I was the co well, co presenter is overstating, and I was reading the results. Or doing the news roundup at the end of the program, and 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 I have it on tape, and this is gospel truth. So the news, it was in the same studio as the nine o'clock news. So the nine o'clock news people came out. They then, in the commercial break, pulled a new drape around the back of the studio, and the Sunday Sport team came in. So I'm now sitting there, first time in a live studio, four minutes into a commercial break, and I am in absolute bits thinking what am I doing here like I didn't like no part of me wanted to be there all of a sudden so anyway all right, you, you'll get through it you'll get through it you get through it and Jim Sherwin says and here with the results of the day is Ryan Nugent and I launched into it like I was like I was at 150 miles an hour I'm at 100 miles an hour all the time but I was like I was at least half speed more and I was going at it and going at it and, I'm, and, and, and I have this on video and it is video like it was on that VHS. <laughs> um, uh, so, so the results from the premiership that day were and, and, and I ran through the results. So I'm going 2-0, 3-1, 4 second, and the games are running into each other and going so quickly and then I have this earpiece in and I hear in my, in my ear Ryle and if you look on, on the tape it's Manchester United 2, yes? <laughs> and then I go Crystal Palace now, or whatever it was. And, I'm thinking, and, and then we go to a VT, and, and the director comes on and he said, Ryle, the next time I call your name, you don't answer me. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So it was like, 
baptism of fire. Baptism of fire. But that, like, I got away with I, I mean, again, it was a different time. People were judged in a different way. I, like, there's no way somebody would be put on the air as, as raw as I was at the time. But he stuck with me and... And over the years, I got huge opportunities. I did four years of the grip, which was a great grinding. It started off very much as a kid's, like like aimed at seven, eight, nine year olds, and and it developed as the years went by. So by the time we were finishing after four years, uh, it was very much a, aimed at, at, at teenagers, like as in it, it was it was a student it had a more of a studenty feel off it. We got some wonderful opportunities. We were around the world. The female presenter changed. Sally came in Sally McCardle who at the time was the world kickboxing champion um, and and we got to do stuff like that like we were all over the world it was well all over Europe and a bit of and, and a bit outside of that so we were in, in, in the states and we got to go to Asia and I got to ride a bobsleigh down a, <laughs> down a, a, a run in, in, in Austria I got to which was phenomenal experience I got to abseil and I got to uh, scuba dive and I got to water I did a water ski jump with no training <laughs> I did like we did the most insane things like it was just wonderful um, skiing we were like I, and I was I was literally living the dream so I was what 24 25 at this point and man was I having a good time like, you might, you might not have climbed Everest but you're yeah. definitely an adrenaline yeah. junkie anyways well, and, and the, and yeah, and, I, and I, that wasn't who I was so it was completely against type and that was kind of what the show liked doing was putting me in places that the producer knew I had I've never seen it but I'm just picturing an idiot abroad yeah. you know so <laughs> you know what I like was a, it was, there, was a, there was a very slight bang of that <laughs> he's not calling you an no, idiot no, no, no. now <laughs> Carl Pelton you like for a bit of an idiot to, to say I'll water ski and jump <laughs> yeah. with no training no training like, yeah. yeah I'll do that idiot like that is an idiot yeah. but yeah look, so it was great and then but that ran its natural course they wanted it to go on I felt I'd taken, I'd gone as far as I could go and I was repeating it and I was conscious. There's a very fine line as well when you're doing kids programs and you're at a certain age. The transition into adult programming is, you've got to be careful that you haven't undermined your credibility so far. Did you ever feel you, that you had painted yourself with I that had brush? A, I had a real sense that I was beginning to do that. Whether that was true or not didn't matter. Every, everybody had, around me, as in the producer and my parents and my brothers and my friends, all had different views on it and I didn't really listen to any of them because I felt and I thought, you know what, you're going to have to, if you're going to move across, you need to move across cut and you've, toys, got, you've got to cut this. Um, and that's, and, and actually it finished and a new program came out of it immediately the year after, which was Rapid, which was Catherine Thomas and Jason Sherlock. Um, and they took it on for three or four years and they started their careers doing that. Um, but for me it was it was time to it was time to, to cut it uh, and the sports department were keen for me to come in full time but that, that's quite unheard of in RT it would have been to move between departments at the time now and I know it's not a strictly moving department because well it was one, one was coming out of young people's and one was coming out of yeah, sports so it I was suppose, a move well, it you know? was a young people's sport oriented yeah sure sports, yeah, 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 but yeah. I suppose it is still a moving department oh, it was, yeah, yeah, from, yeah. What, from what we've gathered from our, our previous guests and stuff, it, it is quite unheard of and quite unusual to move between it was. It was. It was unusual. I like. Like I said, I will. I will openly say I have had enormous slices of luck in my career. Uh, whether I have an ability and talent, that's for other people to judge. I, I would say I have a semblance of both. But, but in terms of, do I feel like I've been lucky along the way? Have I been lucky from the day I decided what I wanted to do, where I where I sort of fell into Ballyfermot, and it gave me opportunities to the ninety-eight FM thing, to the kids show in RTE to the moving into the sports department and then in 
in, in 99, the Rugby World Cup came along and the head of sport, who was a huge in, impact on my life at the time, a guy called Tim O'Connor, he said he, he had a huge um, impact on my career. He, they had the 99 World Cup, Rugby World Cup, and they, he knew that they were going to need four commentators and they only had three. And the three were Jim Sherman, Fred Cogley and George Hamilton. And and they knew on one day that they, they needed... They couldn't. A, I read something yeah, about this. And, and, yeah. I, and he saw this six months out and he said, I want you to try being a commentator. And I had, like, never even crossed... The only person who'd ever said to me, I think he could be a commentator, was my dad. Everybody, no one else, I hadn't thought about it. And I kind of said to dad, yeah, yeah, it's too... I don't think I have what it takes. And Tim said, I think you do. And he made me go down and take an old tape out. And he sat me down and I, and I tried to commentate and he brought me into the office the next day and said that was genuinely awful, like it was truly <laughs> appalling, but you had the, I'm going to say, balls to do it and, and, I, and, and that is going to tell you something about yourself. Now go back and, 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 try, again. and try again. And over a couple of uh, months we did it and then in 1999 I got put on my first live oh, game. Romania, Georgia. Romania, Georgia was, was a game that wasn't broadcast in Ireland. It needed a commentator for a world feed or he didn't show it. So that was on the Saturday, the first live game on RT was either on a Tuesday or a Wednesday afternoon when England were playing Fiji in Twickenham. And Ralph Keyes was the co-commentator and I got my first opportunity and I was sick again. Like my nerves were gone. <laughs> I was smoking like a trooper. I was drinking coffee till it was coming out my oh, yeah, I, remember I was in the ground. At, I think the game was kicking off at four o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon. I was in the game, in the ground at half nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was sitting in the commentary position with the headphones on, rehearsing my opening. Thank you very much, and welcome to. And I was like, oh. and I and I got to a point where an hour before the game, I had drunk so much coffee and, and smoked so many cigarettes that I literally vomited uh, uh, from the nerves. Like ridiculous. Now we like our coffee yeah, here, but I don't think ever. No, I drank myself. I was wound up, like completely wound up. Do you remember how many coffees? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I just, it was intravenous. Like I was on a drink of coffee. It was caffeine drink. When I went to, I, I made my debut in the Croke Park press box over the summer. Right. And um, it was the Leinster semi-final, Leash and Carlo. Not exactly a massive fixture or anything, but I was in awe. This yeah, has been. Course. This is where I had wanted to get to since I started. Absolutely. That, on a sideline in January in Leash somewhere. And how, and how nervous were you? Oh, oh my right! I can't even describe of you. Course. I was a puppy. I, I have a friend who works for. A rival newspaper in Leash, but I, I went up to him. I texted him the night before and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm going to have to follow you around. Because my editor uh, was on holidays. He said, Look, to get from the press area down to the dressing rooms in Croke Park, he said, It's long, it's a meandering kind of thing, you'll get lost. He said, for Follow someone. For the love of God, <laughs> hang on to his ankles. <laughs> and, um, but I got it, like yourself, I got in a couple hours early. I was all set, arrived in, and I, initially I sat in the wrong area. I sat down in the broadcast broadcasting area. with the monitors and stuff, and I got heaved out, and that was a bit embarrassing, you know, as it would be. Yeah. And um, then I had to try and get a program. I had this awful thing about asking the nice little man that goes around with the programs. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So I got my program and everything, and like yourself, I went and I got myself some coffee, and I went out to the smoking area, and uh, I had about three fags, and I went in, and I was like, <laughs> hey, I'm composed. And then someone came up and asked me something, and I was just all over the shop again. And I had to repeat the process. Coffee and a cigarette. I came back in, and I was like, I can do this. But it, it was fine, and it's literally just getting yeah, yourself it's, caught it's up. Sure, yeah, it's, it's, it's 
it's, there's a bit of jumping into the, into the unknown and you've got to, like, if you're going to do this, whether it's in the written word, because the written word is, is a completely different discipline, but it has become hugely pressurized. Look at those guys that have got to write reports. doesn't matter whether it's gas, soccer, rugby, doesn't matter what it is. And they're on the whistle reports. And you know as well as I do, some of those games go right to the whistle and they can go either way and they've got to have a thousand words or 800 words or whatever it is written. Like, there's a huge pressure in that. The immediacy of, of written journalism is caught up with broadcast in terms of, of having to perform there and then. Um, and, and that's what the, what the Ruby commentary did. Was, it was I, I, something in the back of my head just said, like, the next 80 minutes, you're on your own, kid. So, like, you've got two, there's only two things that are going to happen here. Either you're going to work your way through the next 80 minutes or you're going to fall silent and your career is done, it's over. So or we even got going, you know. So we got through it. Um, in Would you say it was your, your best, your finest oh, no. performance I mean, in the I mic? I got fright of my life as well. Like, I mean, now that when I look back at it, it was like, a, I'll digress for a second. It is much, much, much easier to do Ireland against New Zealand this week than it would be to do uh, Blackrock against uh, Cork Khan in an AIL match because it's, it's, there's so much information there, and I know all the players, so I don't have to worry about that. The basic job, part of the commentary, is identification of players. That's, that's the, the, the first and foremost thing. And, and you take that for granted. But when you're doing a match, when you've never seen any of the players, and there are 46 names on a sheet, and I don't know what anybody looks like, it is a far, far bigger ask for a commentator to do a game at a much lower le level of visibility than it is to do a World Cup final or a Six Nations match or a or an All Ireland final, like that's for a commentator. That's the that that part of it is already taken out because it's already in your head. Mm. Then it's about performance. Then it's about writing the atmosphere and all those things. But just to to to, to finish out that, I got Fiji, and Fiji at the I can remember one of the names was Tika Mama Kogai was playing on the wing, <laughs> and there was another guy, um, like there was there was there, there, it was. It, there were six names on it that would were tongue twisters, and I was just trying to get through the game without. And, and then you're thinking, who's going to tell you you pronounce it correctly? But that's not the point. Like you, you, you're social media, this th these yeah, things. I'm sure say, somebody. Oh, you better believe yeah. it. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> so we did all that, and and I and I back to the tying it into the look. So that was '99, and then in. Like Fred Cogley retired in 2002 and then George had been sent into soccer world and, and, and really wasn't commentating on rugby at, on a week in week out and, and the, the organisation had made a, a conscious decision at that point really it needed a lead rugby commentator and a lead soccer commentator and there were going to be weekends where George couldn't do both so he was sort of pushed down the, he still did rugby but he was never going to be able to lead it every week and if it was a choice George was being pushed at soccer. Um, and so Jim Sherwin took over the lead rugby uh, um, uh, commentator's gig and, and he was only, he was well into his 60s at that point, having sat behind Fred for a long time. And that's where I say I got lucky. So here we were again, I got pushed into doing commentary when I really didn't want to do it. Kind of bluffed and blagged my way to the point of just about getting away with it. Had the room to refine it over the next couple of years. And then I hit 2006, 2004. I'm in as the number two commentator on the Six Nations in 2006. Jim's gone on retirement and I'm, 2006 is how many years ago? That's 11 years ago, so I'm now 35 or 34. And I'm the lead commentator on, on, on RT and I'm thinking... I'm deputy head of sports. Not, not at that point. Oh. Not at that point. 
uh, uh, but I'm thinking, wow, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> and, and, that's, that, and that's what I'm saying, you, you, get, you get luck. You know, you, you, you get lucky and you, you look at pound for pound for me, Darren Maloney, probably the best commentator in these islands as a commentator, I think he's outstanding. And he went into, he went into soccer commentary and he found himself behind another outstanding commentator in George Hamilton. So Darren was never way more ability, way more talent just came in behind a guy who was at the peak of his career and had another 15 years in front of him and Dara subsequently has kind of half shifted into, into being a great presenter as well yeah. Um, so yeah so you talent ability and timing immaculate <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up now you said the player, player identification is a big part of yeah. the major part of commentary there was one moment where you identified a certain player in a certain way that garnered a lot of national attention back in 2009 <laughs> that was an accident that was an accident <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it became so, subsequently through the likes of Gift Grub and stuff like oh, that yeah. it became a national <laughs> a, a joke but not in a laughing at a, a, certainly a laughing with joke okay. Um, I, I, there's no way anybody's going to say that. I, 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 I like laughing with it. The one thing I'll say, if you're going to go and be a broadcaster and you're going to put yourself in the public domain and then you're going to take offence if people take the mickey out of you, then don't go. And I don't think it's taking the mickey no, because no, it, was a it, was it was a fantastic and iconic piece of Irish sporting history when, uh, obviously, if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, Tommy Bogue going over for the try against Wales in the, the Grand Slam game back in 2009. It was an iconic moment in sports history and you have your mark on that now in a very, in a very good way, I think, actually. Yeah, well, it's I think, very kind of you to say it, but look, I, I, going back to the commentary, I think the... I think a commentator's job, first and foremost, is to make sure that they can identify the players. Mm. Um, and then, for me, it's about, it's about trying to, to live the emotion of yeah. the viewer. Mm. It's, it's entertainment yeah. as well. It's living the emotion of yeah. the viewer, right? So, 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 when you're doing that on an international match, it's really easy to do that because... 95, 99% of RTE's audience Irish. wanted Ireland to win. Yeah, so, so I was, I, 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 without you're allowed to be slightly well, oh, biased. No, no, not slightly biased. I would say you're, you're, you, you, I would, I would have said it was biased, but it was biased in a, in a positive and a negative mm. sense of focusing on Ireland. It was a focus on Ireland because that's where the vast majority of yeah. the audience were. The, the trick down from that was, I remember doing the Munster Leinster semi-final of the Heineken Cup where Ronan O'Garrett jumped over the boards. I don't know whether you remember and, and, and Munster beat Leinster in, in Lansdowne Road and they yeah. absolutely annihilated them. And that was probably the trickiest game I was most worried about going into because, because you're going to get slaughtered by both sides. But actually I made a decision, if I get slaughtered by both sides, I've probably done my job. So if the Leinster supporters think I was red yeah, actually, and the yeah. Munster supporters think I was blue, then, you were somewhere in the then I was somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, that's the tricky one. But it is about trying to be, trying to trying to harness that emotional engagement for the viewer. So when you're at an international level, you can do that relatively easy. If you work for the BBC, or you work for Sky in the UK, that's a little harder if you're because doing Because you have Wales. Scotland, Wales and... Right, so now you can't, and I think sometimes that Sky, not any individual commentator, can become very English focused and forget that they're also broadcasting into Scotland. I, I tend to agree. Right, so yeah, now yeah. I'm commentating for Channel 4, I've got to pull back the ir the greenness yeah. of what I do <laughs> because be so hard if uh, <laughs> no, Jamie's sitting think, beside you I as still, well. Yeah. Well, I still think there's there is going to be the majority of the audience are going to be focused on Ireland, but you cannot go yeah. as green as you could when RT. So it's understanding where the audience is and then trying to take them 
on the emotional part of that of that journey. So the Tommy Bow thing, Tommy Bow thing just happened. Like, yeah. I have never written anything down for a, for a, for for a leading to a break. I got accused of doing it um, when Ireland won the Six Nations, and I said something about having. Uh, throwing punches with Katie and run laps with Sonia and, and I'd never written that down and everybody thought I'd scripted it and thought it was over the top over the top in terms of it being scripted which I didn't do well, look um, at Martin Morris I don't know if anybody yeah. watched the coverage of <laughs> no, the Wild Geese International Tournament at the weekend but Jesus Christ you'd swear it was an All-Ireland final yeah like that's okay. I mean, everybody has their own way of doing it. I, I, my, my view is I would never write it down. You've got to feel it, and if you feel it, it'll come naturally. And whether that's good, whether it's a good performance or a bad performance. So the Tommy Bow thing just, I was out of the box. I was like, I was in fifth gear, and, <laughs> and, and I had nothing else but go. <laughs> and how it came, and he had a, a vowel at the end of his name, so it just, yeah. it just came. I mean, if had it been stuck, so there, I'm not sure I would have done the let's same. Let's see thing. how well you remember. So, I mean, this is an obvious question, but who gave him the pass that put him through? Pass was a kick through from Ronan O'Garrett. Was. And stuff who, who was the tackle that was sent flying in Tommy's path as he was running through? Do you Shane remember? Williams, was it? No, Gavin Henson. Was it? Oh, that's right, Gavin Henson sort of did a goalkeeper's dive. Yeah, and I just, because there's this iconic <laughs> image of Tommy powering through and Gavin just going flying from behind them. See, um, I don't know whether Tom, Tommy, this is true, I met Tommy Bow for the first time after he retired. What? Wow. Seriously? Because no I was going to ask him if he Tommy ever talked I, about this moment. Tommy and I, I like, like, so I would have seen him yeah, at camps yeah. and at Matt, but in terms of standing and having a conversation with the man, um, and I, I was actually a little afraid of him because I thought, <laughs> like, it became this thing. And then I look, I won't lie. After that one, which was an accident, the first one, I then hammed it up. Yeah. <laughs> so let's have pretend otherwise. So every time Tommy went in, I I went. You have to give Mario Rosenstock his material. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I gave creating employment across the <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure I was pretty sure that that I'd make Tommy's life a living hell because because everywhere he went, <laughs> he was like, it's Tommy Bo! <laughs> Funny for a week yeah. or a month, but if you're walking down at home in Monaghan, or you're like down, walking down Grafton Street holding your girlfriend's hand, or going shopping with your dad or your yeah. mom, or, like the last thing you need is a whole load of ages shouting, Tommy Wall! <laughs> Ryan, but, speaking of uh, favourite games, um, of course, the Grand Slam victory, yeah. do you have any other favourite games? Um, yeah, I guess I guess my first, my, the, the first one that stands out, like two of the favourite games, three, three of the favourite games. Yeah, I was, I, I, from what I'd read in my research, without beating what you were yeah. going to say, I'm fairly sure from what I read, there was going to be another edition from the last, the last year or two. Yeah, no, I, I would say my favourite games are, uh, and they're for my own personal reasons, were definitely the Grand Slam game, where Ireland won, that's, that's a no-brainer. Of course. Um, I think the Croke Park game with England, because, because that, was, that was just such a, I think people will look back at that and realise more and more and more how what a part of history we got to, to literally live through, I think, and I don't want to overstate it, but, but you've got to remember what was running into that and what people were worried about, and it was just the most magnificent occasion. I loved the Munster win in 2006 because in the Millennium Stadium because I think it laid the foundation for the success of Irish rugby over the last 10, 11, 12 years. And it was the foundation, and they had tried so many times, and it was like, it was they'd been beaten, and they were close, and it was that, and they'd lost it, and then they finally scaled that the, the, the mountain, and that was wonderful to be at. And then my own my own little 
box ticking exercise was was to do a World Cup final in 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 Eden Park in Auckland when uh, New Zealand won the World Cup in their own backyard against France, and that that one had a, just a moment. I, I guess anybody that's in in journalism or, or or in broadcasting, a World Cup final, and it's like I think Brazil playing in Brazil, New Zealand playing in New yeah, Zealand. Yeah. Like, I, I've loved the game my whole life and the, the thought of actually getting to commentate on New Zealand in a World Cup final in Auckland, I was like, right, okay, shoot me now. You know, like that's, that's it, that's that box. If you had been that way inclined as a child, I'm sure that would have been the one. World Cup final yeah, hit, you know, exactly. that would have been the one that, that, that you would. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, they'd be my, my top four games. You mentioned um, Ralph as being your co-commentator yeah. for your first game and obviously you've been a bit of a pair over the years. Yeah. How much has him being beside you helped you to be comfortable in the uh, box? He's been brilliant. Ralph has been brilliant. I think what people forget about Ralph is Ralph Keyes was the Golden Boot winner at the Rugby World Cup in 1991. He scored more points in the Rugby World Cup than anybody else. And he may have only played, I can't remember exactly how many caps, Ralph is like, I'm gonna say 12 or 14 caps for Ireland, um, at a time where caps weren't plentiful, they were only four or five, six matches a year. Um, and he came under competition from a guy called Brian Smith, who was the first of the kind of wild geese. He was a guy who was born in Australia and declared for Ireland, and there was war about it at the time. And, and he, probably, he probably won 15, I'm, I'm, my, my memory isn't great, I mean, probably won 10 or 15 caps that Ralph would have won if Brian hadn't been there. That whole argument is a different argument, but, but Ralph, was, Ralph was a rarity in that he was utterly comfortable doing the job, but never sought, sought the limelight, um, and loved doing the job, and he was great to me. He, he, he was outstanding to me, and we forged a great old partnership through the years, and I was lucky to do the same with Donald Lennon. Um, in the last five or six years, and and they were they both been great. Two, two guys I cannot speak highly enough. It does it help then um, working so closely and so often with somebody in terms of building a dynamic on commentary and yeah, stuff like that, a rapport. Yeah, it helps. I was having that conversation with Jamie Heasip only recently, which is like he's new to it. I think I think co-commentator is the hardest game in sports broadcasting. So I think it's harder than the guys in the studio. I think it's harder. Than presenting, I think it's harder than commentating. I think it's harder than analysts. I think it's harder than journalism. I think, and, I, and I'll tell you why: because a good co-commentator is going to make the call, and they have to make it right there and then. So think about something happening, and they have to contextualise it, explain it, and give it uh, a sense of importance or not or, or not importance in a split second. Mm. Whereas the guys and girls in the studio time have time to consider it, they can talk to each other. They see replay. They, they see get re the replay. And now the co-commentators see yeah, the replay in that, but they but only in the initial see, moment. They have an initial moment to yeah. say, red card, not red card, mm. try, no try, a good play, bad play, defensive collapse, not defensive collapse. Like it is a really, really hard job. And more often than not, in fact in all cases, they're not trained. It's, it's innate in their ability to do it and, they, and, and, and there are not a lot of good ones there. Um, and I was just saying to Jamie, like it is the hardest job and most when they go into it, kind of go, realise it pretty quick that they'd rather be in the studio or they'd rather be down on the sideline or they'd rather be anywhere else than in the co-commentator's chair. And Jamie's a rare, very rare breed. He loves it, loves it. 
he loves the immediacy of it. So if you say, he said to me, like, I would rather be there, I think, than in the studio. And he's only early into it, so we'll see how it goes. But, but it, that, that's the first thing. And then, then it is about building a rapport. And, and that can only be done over time. But I, I'm afraid those days for everybody are, are fewer and further between because, because the rights are moving around so much that, that you don't have six, eight, seven, nine, ten seasons where, where you have a commentary team yeah. doing the November Internationals, the Six Nations, the World Cup, the Heineken Cup, all together. And that's where that rapport builds up. Now, yeah. you kind of got to force it a bit more. Well, yourself and Jamie did, you know... We were lucky, yeah, it was great. And that was down to him. You know, he and really apart from that, though, you, d- you did... You announced your resignation the same day that Jamie retired <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. So this, this little bromance, this has been... That was it. It was there. A bit of momentum it now, was there, you know. It was there from day one. No, but look, he's... Uh, it was our first game together, and I'm looking forward to doing the second game, which is, good. Which is fat. Speaking of uh, the game on Saturday, what are your thoughts? What's going to happen? What are my thoughts? My Actually, thoughts? I do have uh, well, a, a question from a friend, Dylan. I did ask him because our, our friend Dylan is uh, very much rugby inclined. Excellent. So I just asked him, uh, uh, I'm interviewing Royal Legend today, what do you want to ask him? He's, he wants your opinion who should start full back for Ireland. Rob Kearney. Rob Kearney. No question for me. I mean, I think Jordan Larmer is going to be and is already a superstar. I think, I think what you're talking about here, I, I, in my head there are four different levels. There's, there's first this professional level of being able to play, which is Pro 14, week in, week out. Then you step up to the second level, which is Heineken Cup, and being able to operate at that level. The third level is international, and that's another level entirely. And then I think there's a fourth level, which is at the very, very top of international, which is games against the All Blacks quarter or semi-finals in World Cups, you know, like yeah. like A plus grade. And Jordan's twenty one and he's he's been fast tracked and he's magnificent. But but experience counts in all walks of life at different points. And I think coming up against the world number one team at this moment in time, Rob Carney's the man for the job. Will he be in a year's time? Dunno. But but this Saturday, Rob Carney every time. Dylan time. You were gonna say Yeah, just any predictions for the game? Um I think it's gonna be I think it's going to be a one-score game. I hope it's going to be a one-score game, and I think that means, it's, it, 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 again, I, I'm a firm believer in, 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 in destiny and a little bit of luck, and you need a bit of luck on, on these. So Ireland, like, if Wayne Bard sees an offside that, that mightn't be given any other day, and you get a penalty and you get an easy three points, that could be the difference, mm-hmm. you know? So, but, but if you, if you my, my way of answering these is if somebody put a gun to your head and said, you got to, if you get it wrong, you're gone, then I, I unfortunately would have to favour uh, New Zealand. But I won't be surprised if Ireland wins. So it's the classic head says New Zealand, heart says Ireland. Um, yeah, but your heart always says you're yeah, country, exactly. right? Yeah, right? Exactly. Unless, so. you're, unless you're a cold-hearted bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, will we talk a little bit about head of, head of sport then? Yeah. If you didn't know, Greg is our own head of sport for DCUFM. And I'm his deputy. And this is my deputy and here. So bird, the burden is great. Yeah, yeah. you know, I feel, I feel this weight on my shoulders. Okay, now, I think, I think yours and mine might be slightly... <laughs> yeah, DCUFM is above there. Yeah. Above so, Roy, you moved into the deputy head of sport in 2006 with RT. Yeah, 2006, 2007, yeah. And then... Uh, you obviously then progressed. You took over from Glenn Killeen, Glenn Killeen, and he moved into the MD of TV. Um, but so you moved into a role, and like for people who might know, group head of sport for RT. So like you're directly responsible for basically sport yeah. on RT, yeah. and that's you know that's TV, that's radio, publishing, everything. So like it's a very you have to have a base and a bit of everything, I suppose, sure. and. 
So the job is the job is twofold. It's it's got two levels to it. It is it is the business side of it, which is the rights negotiations. <coughs> Excuse me. Which is the rights negotiations, a certain amount of commercial responsibility, but that's handled by the commercial department. But you're working with them on that, um, and then the contracts for all the staff and all the talent, and then on the so that's the, let's call that the commercial business side of it. And then on the flip side of that is the editorial, which is all the output on TV, radio, digital, is is your responsibility. Now that's that's in theory. The the, the fact of the matter is, you. You deal with the major stuff as it needs to be dealt with day to day. You're not doing that. So the way that RT is structured is you have a group head of sport, and then you have three heads underneath. They're actually five on the management team, but there are three heads underneath. One with responsibility for television, Clean O'Leary. One with responsibility for radio, Donna McGrath. One with responsibility for digital, Mikey Stafford. And then there's a commissioning editor, Paula Fahey, who deals with all of the documentaries that are bought or made. From outside, you before that team money. yourself. I did, yeah. yeah, before that, and and then there's a financial person involved with you as well. So, so there's a management team. So, yes, you have responsibility for all of it, but it's like the further you go up the food chain, the more more you're relying on other people to do their jobs. Yeah. In order, delegation is yeah, and you get brought in to do it. Of course, they're, they're ultimately it is your responsibility, and ultimately it is the head of sports responsibility to make sure everything is is the way it should be. And if there are major issues like like call a space fade if. If Joe or Eamon, Joe Brawley or Eamon Dumpy said anything or did anything, then then that was my that was my bag. Um, and and if there were issues on legal or anything like that, that they were mine. But the day to day, like <clears throat> what what story is going to run as the lead on on digital? That's that's on the website. That's the, the guys and girls that work there need to uh, to make those decisions. So look, it was a. I ended up in it by again a little bit of a bit of default and a bit of accident. I, I kind of realised when I wanted to be on air as a, either a presenter or a commentator that it was only going to fulfil a certain amount. It, it is also a brutally, uh, it's a, it's also a brutal business and it's becoming more brutal. You're only as good as your last gig. And I kind of thought if that doesn't work out, what else are you going to do here? You better have another side to your of your of your um, uh, career developed. So I was. I was lucky enough to be able to commentate or present at the weekends, and then during the week I started to produce stuff. So I was, I was the editor of the 2002 World Cup when the whole Saipan thing happened, and and, and it was the middle of the night, and it was then Damon Dunphy had a moment in studio, and, <laughs> and he's prone to a couple of those. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was the head of our rugby coverage for a while, and I was the. Uh, editor of Sunday game for a short period so I kind of had all that editorial experience coming behind me and then the business side of it I was looking at that Glenn when he was the head of sport gave me an opportunity to work on some rights stuff so like and that, that obviously became progression for me you know the, felt like the rights obviously became quite a big it's huge huge it's, area it job. And truthfully it, it is the job it is and I, I suppose and like when, when I was doing my research during the week and stuff and I, I didn't know you personally but I felt that a lot of the kind of the stick you were getting for the likes of the sure you know it's very unfair because if you look at it logically RT is the state broadcaster and obviously you don't have a budget that can compare to you know and but yet personally you know, and, and yeah. you're very and, 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 and look I appreciate you saying it but I, I like I said to you earlier I think if you're being the head of sport in RT and having a front-facing job at the same time in terms of the broadcasting made what was already a public job even more public for mm -hmm. me um, and and I knew that going into it, and and you just accept that. People are entitled. Like RTE Sport was, I presided over a, a, a portfolio of programming that I firmly believed in, which was people offering 
an opinion on what was happening in front of them. Now, people are entitled to that opinion. There is a line when you cross it and it becomes personal criticism rather than professional criticism. And people cross the line with me about it. Maybe some, like, like, like I sat in my office and went, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to not do the National League in GAA because I just don't like it. Like, I mean, give me a break. I'm from the South Side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that was just absolute nonsense. And then it became some people, but there's always idiots on Twitter and there's always idiots yeah. on Facebook. And I, and I frankly, I, I'm, I'm not going to teach my son to ignore people being idiots when they're being idiots and not accept that myself. So you accept when you go into a job like that and if you're going to have a profile that you're going to get kicked around a bit. And I genuinely didn't lose a huge amount of sleep. I won't lie. Yeah. There, were, there were occasions where I, where I did go home and go, actually, I can't be doing this anymore. This is, this is just nonsense. But in terms of the job with the rights, and, and look, it is the job. Like the, the, the rights for the sports department in RT is, is, is a crucial part of it. And it is, it is a very uh, demanding job. Uh, these are facts. This isn't a complaint. Like it is, it is twenty four seven, and and you you get called on holidays, and you you know like you you you're on pretty much all the time, and that was one of the reasons that I chose to leave. Like you, you in my humble opinion, six eight years of that, going seven days a week all the time. Of course, I went on holiday, but but you were it's more. You had to be on it. Any person. Yeah, to you get to a point where you go okay. Uh, it's time. It's time to change. And also, I think the people in the in the department needed to hear a fresh voice. Mm. They were bored listening to me, and I don't blame them. Um, and they needed a fresh voice and a fresh direction. And the guy that they have in in Declan McBennett is a fresh voice and a fresh direction. And I have a huge amount of time for Declan. Declan McBennett. This is this is my little tidbit of yeah. the day. Uh, he is a one-time Monaghan Junior Footballer of the Year. He is. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He is. Yeah. What did I tell you? Investigative journalism. I tell you at the time. That one was my favourite. Nah, Declan, very good. Well done. Declan is uh, Declan's a good guy, and he has, but he will have no more of a pro GA stance than I had a pro rugby stance. His job is to go in and do the very best he can and have a portfolio of rights that are available to the Irish public. Um, and that, like, I used to laugh. People saying, you know, it's just completely rugby. Like, I lost the Rugby World Cup, I lost the Six Nations, I lost the Heineken Cup, and I lost the Pro 14. Like, what part of that adds up to yeah, genius exactly. uh, 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 rugby pusher? You know, Looking like, after him. Yeah, I, I, I did I, when I was reading my research. I laughed at it because I was like, look, whatever argument you can... And I can make a very... Right, I can give out to you plenty about Leash's coverage over the last few years. But, you know, at the same time... It's not as if he said, you know what, them rugby lads, you yeah. know, they're my boys, I'm going to look after them, yeah. you know. It's it's such a competitive industry, there's, there's yeah. competition there now where there was before, and it's not just Irish competition, there's competition from, from the UK, and, and there's competition from, from digital players, like if Amazon and Facebook and these guys come to the, to come to the market in a, in, a, in a meaningful way, well then the whole landscape's going to change, yeah. and all of a sudden the Skies and the BTs are going to look like the poor kids in the room. And, and they're not going to have the money to do everything. But even even they are not doing what they were doing at one point, you know. So the, so the mighty sky, which is a like, they are they have done a fantastic job over the years. They have the Premier League, but they don't have the Six Nations. They, they don't, don't have, have the Olympic Games. Don't they don't have the, have the World Cup. Yeah. And they don't have the Champions League. They're starting to lose League. the Premier League. So, so more and more so, so yeah. So like they just lost the league this year but, actually as but, well. But what has happened is people are are comparing. 2017 with 2007 or 1997 when RT had everything. Well, RT had everything in 1997 because there was nobody else. There's no competition. No competition. Yeah. 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 So like, like that's it's just a nonsensical argument. And every industry that I'm aware of, every business moves forward, and and every business has moved forward and has changed. You don't go into any business 
from 1997 to 2017 that hasn't fundamentally changed. Because if it hasn't fundamentally changed, it's gone. So, so that argument of, of RTE should have everything is just is a nonsensical argument and it's a pretty lazy comment in my view mm. from people who should know better in some cases. Oh, in your position, like when you, when you are a head of sport, I think you have to tell yourself, "I'm head of sport for a reason." Uh, like and like John thirty four from Sligo is John thirty four from Sligo <laughs> for a reason. He's not in the position I am. He doesn't have to make the decisions that I have to make. Yeah. They don't understand the nuances of the job. So in that sense, you you, you kind of have to just brush off anything. And you do, but you also I think I think there is something here, and I and I, and I do want to say this because I think it's important for it to be said. It is a different job to being the head of sport in TV3 or Virgin Media as they are now, or being the head of sport in Sky or being the head of sport in BT, because you are dealing with public money yeah. and you are answerable. Mm -hmm. And it you're is important that you're answerable and accountable. And you do have to explain your decisions. And, and you are open to criticism, and I have no problem with that. The only problem I have is when the arguments that are made are don't add up to any logic anywhere. <laughs> then, then you're kind of going, well, I can't, I can't. You're just not going to accept. You don't have to like the decision. You do have to respect that there was a process put in place to make the decision. Yeah. And if there wasn't, then the scrutiny is valid. Then the criticism is valid. So I don't have a problem with all that stuff. That's that goes with the job, and 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 it's right that RTE are held accountable for the decisions that they make when they're dealing with public money, as any public, any public money should be held accountable. Uh, it's been a, quite a serious discussion. <laughs> so we, we've, re, we've really touched on some serious topics. So we'll, go, we'll move into the lighter side of the, um, as, we, as we wrap up here. So Greg, do you want to do uh, a little yeah, bit of we'll do, Well, we know the answer to our first usual question, mm. tea or coffee, because Royal actually bought me my coffee today. <laughs> oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. If I'd stuck around longer, you might. You would have got a coffee too. Yeah. No, I doubt it. It was just me. Oh. <laughs> um, so, Royal, you had a cappuccino, was it? I didn't. No, I had an American. Oh, did you? Um, Does that tell you something about me? Yeah, it um, <laughs> Do you take sugar? Yes. How many? One. One, yeah, same as I said. Milk, definitely. Okay. Full fat. Okay. Royal, um, your ideal Saturday night, everything is within your control. You completely dictate. What do you want to do? Ooh. The, the Riles today with <laughs> two five year old girls and a 16 year old boy uh, versus the Ryle of 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you can give a good opinion to me, You can. I, I look. It, it comes to us all. We all begin to settle down and slow down. I love a few pints. No doubt about it. I and I'm gonna sound like a complete sap now, but I don't mind saying it. I love going out with my missus, um, and and it would be it would be go sit in the corner and, and like I love O'Donoghue's pub in Marion Row right. in town, and I love just going in and sitting down and having a pint and, and having that three or four hours where you drinking pints of well, yeah, yeah, pints of and you're going to be I'm Smithix actually Smithix oh, oh, a man after Gavin's own hair I was really expecting you to say a point of Ken <laughs> <laughs> see been those stereotypes I, I thought I thought, I thought Royal would be a Guinness I actually picked as a Guinness I, I like a pint of Guinness yeah myself and Greg Smithix would be my default yeah, so, right. yeah, I love that and I love going for and I love steak and and then the, it, the best thing you could give me is, is the girls not waking up till nine. <laughs> a bit of a lie in the a next morning. Yeah. Uh, Royal, favourite music and uh, favourite movie? Favourite music and favourite movie. Wow. And as I wish I'd known this was coming. Um, <laughs> favourite music and favourite movie. Um, 
I think if I had two albums completely, this is really weird, I've never said this out loud. I'm not a big music buff, I don't really like concerts. I like listening to music, but I'm not a concert goer. Don't like them. Two albums that I keep going back to over and over and over again. Donald Fagan, Firefly, and I, this is gonna sound really odd. The Four of Us, Songs from the Big Chair. I think it's a, no, it's not Songs from the Big Chair, Four of Us, it's, uh, that, was, that was Tears for Fears back in the 90s. Um, four of Us, what is it, what was the Four of Us album? It's got it, there was one huge album and I can't I have it on my on my uh, on my phone. Yeah. But Don Fagan is the one I would go back to yeah. over and over again. Um, and my favorite movie. Do I really have a favorite movie? Do I have one that will make Mine me? is very cliche. It's Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, you see, I was gonna say that, but I is there a movie that I would I would go back to over and over and over again? No, I tell you what, I've absolutely loved. Absolutely loved House Cards straight through. Uh, yeah, I've been caught up on the latest season. Yeah, as soon as it was out, I binged it Same. in one go. Um, Did you enjoy the latest season? No, no, no. That's yeah. fairly because the first four episodes were all over the place, and then yeah. not, and then it kind of redeemed itself in the last two or three, and then I didn't like the last one. They were put in a tricky situation. They they there was there was going to be no good way to yeah, wrap up no, that series. Yeah. No, I liked Ozark. Really enjoyed oh, Ozark. Yeah, uh, kind of dark. Yeah, but enjoyed that. Um, so that's my kind of my how, how do you feel I about the um, All or Nothing documentary or you know the series I haven't seen it any of them no not yet oh, wow not yet it's on my, it's on my list you gotta do that yeah, yeah I watched the first episode it was very good which one the uh, Lions one. Oh yeah, yeah and I watched so all of the Man City one Oh, yeah, Man City I have it and, and it's one of those that I know I need to sit down because once I watch it it's going to just the all the black yeah. ones yeah. great I'm going to have to keep yeah. watching them and I haven't watched them right, we, we understand that Rise of Stuff for Time so Gav will, will we'll as we traditionally end any advice that you can pass on to students or whoever or either the best advice you've ever been given so I'll say two things to that. the best advice I was ever given as a commentator and I've recounted this story before was was when I came in after as being reporter on the sideline for Ulster winning the Heineken Cup in 1999 in Lansdowne Road and the English teams hadn't been in the competition and I interviewed Ulster, it was a wonderful day in Lansdowne Road, it was a seismic day and they had done a phenomenal job and the boss took me in the next day and told me I was awful and I was really taken aback and he said you were, you were, like, you were up here, you were so engaged and he said what's the biggest thing that can happen in, in Irish rugby and I said in the World Cup and he said okay what's the second biggest thing and I said Ireland the Six Nations and he went okay well what's the third biggest thing and we worked through it and, and I had Ulster winning the Heineken Cup without the English teams in it maybe is the 14th biggest thing that can happen and he said well, well where are you going to go when something really big happens and I thought you know what I hated hearing it but he was dead right so so where I went with the Tommy Bowman yeah. and Grand Slam at stake, drop goal for, for O'Gara. That was, I don't think I have any more room after that for a World Cup final. I'll find it, <laughs> but, but that was me at, at absolute peak. peak. And everything has got to be a step underneath that for me. Only a, only a little step. Yeah. But, but so what I'm saying is if you're going to get involved in sports journalism, you, you, if what the message was is contextualize what you're seeing, contextualize what you're doing. Don't just because you get an opportunity and something significant, huge happens in front of you, remember, there's gonna be bigger days, likely gonna be bigger days, unless it's Ireland winning the World Cup, or unless that's your starting point, that's or true. unless you're Ireland winning the Six Nations, that's your starting point, or you're all Ireland final, where the dubs do 12 in a row. Um, <laughs> that actually <laughs> You know, that, they're, the, they're the, that's the pinnacle of your sport. So everything else underneath it, be careful that you don't, yeah. You don't go OTT. Yeah, the best piece of advice I can give you is 
Don't let anybody dissuade you. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it. Don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't do it. Don't let anybody tell you that, that it's, it's too difficult to do. If, if sports journalism is where you want to be, then keep going and keep going and keep going and find your niche and find your way and find people that will believe in you um, and take your opportunities when they come and, and, and don't ever think you have it cracked because you don't. Uh, I, I, every time, like I'm going into this game this weekend and there's no sense of me thinking, I just need to rock up here. This is like, no resting you, on your you do your work and, and make sure you do it. And if you have a bad day at the office and we all have them, put it in context, realize it was a bad day at the office. The one thing I will say about sports journalism and, and broadcasting in particular, if you have a bad day at the office, the difference between that and somebody who actually works in an office or in a, in a different environment is that really the only people that know they had a bad day is you, your boss, and probably your family when you go home. If you or I have a bad day at the office, chances are a million people are gonna know I had a bad day at the mm -hmm. office. And you, and you need to just realize you're entitled to have a bad day at the office. We can pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go back out again. And if you have a great day at the office, and a million people think you've had a great day at the office, realize it was one day at the office. <laughs> and don't let yourself get carried away with it. Um, but, but the best piece of advice I would say to you is, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful way to earn a living if you can do that. And, and if it's your dream and it's what you want to do, don't anybody dissuade you. Well, that's brilliant. I don't think uh, we could have summed it up any better yeah. ourselves, right? Um, Thank you very, very much my for pleasure, coming out to DCU today. Absolute pleasure. We're very delighted that you came out, and uh, I feel like I've definitely learned some stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I think boys are the same. 100%. Uh, this has been In Conversation with Royal Nugent. Thank you for listening. <laughs>